What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Friday, January 26, 2024. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, this is episode 253 of our normal regularly scheduled episodes it doesn't include the bonus it doesn't include all the the fantasy top ones that we used to do it doesn't include any interviews or any stuff like that it's just the monday friday and then the off-season wednesday episodes but 253 of these episodes seems like a lot is there a reason we didn't mention this at 250 no no i kind of forgot it was 250 and uh I don't know. I just figured throw it on there now because I was kind of doing a little bit of the <laughs> post-show stuff, pre-show. So post is quicker, you know, editing and posting and all that kind of stuff. That's fair. Uh, yeah, no, that's a lot more shows than I would have expected. Um, I don't know. We've ch- oh, man, we've changed so many, so many times, so many segments, so many things. A lot has changed. Um, and if you include our pre-show before (laughs) the sports show existed um hypothetical history we got a lot of hours of us just talking into a microphone you even figure the 253 i mean there's some that are shorter than an hour but you got to figure i mean you will just round up to an hour that's about 253 hours of us talking um i don't i can't do the math right there quickly what is that about Eight nine days nine ten uh, more Probably than about ten, ten, and ten and a half. times twenty four is two forty yeah. like ten and, and a half days. I think in total we have about two hundred and ninety two episodes that are out right now, plus the thirty from hypothetical history, which were about an those hour and a long. half. So if you do those sixty, so we got like three hundred and sixty hours of just talking into a microphone, staring at a screen, because, look, movie magic here, we still don't see each other when we're recording. <laughs> so we have, in three, 350 episodes, 330 episodes, something like yeah. that, we've never seen each other when we're doing this. That's uh, pretty no. impressive. I feel like the listeners and viewers will know uh, the moment that we can see each other. I feel like all of our interactions will be very, very different. If we ever get to uh, get to that point, either recording person or find a way, I don't get me wrong. We all understand uh, uh, here at the podcast that Zoom and video calls, we understand they work, but trying to have multiple have systems <laughs> running on our computers at the same time, it's just another thing that would bog down our computer while also trying to look at notes and each other and it just would probably make certain things explode. So we uh, we choose not to go that direction simply because uh, we don't know if our computers could handle it. We do know they exist. The technology is there. But for our sake, we have not been able to uh, have video of us talking to each other yet. So, yeah, uh, we'll get there at some point. But 253 episodes and we have yet to do anything in person or, uh, you know, see each other. But... We're doing all right. We're doing all right. We're still here. And uh, yeah, I don't know. A few years ago, if you told me that we would talk into a microphone for over 250 hours, wouldn't have believed you. So glad we're still doing it and glad people are still listening. Yeah. And uh, if you do listen on any kind of Apple device, like Apple Podcasts, and I know there's ones that pull... Uh, there, there's some platforms out there that pull from Apple. So if you were trying to listen to this episode on Tuesday... And most of Wednesday on Apple, 
you wouldn't have been able to do that. And I know I put it out there that we were having issues with the the platforms kind of connecting with each other. And it took all of us a good plus 48 hours to finally figure out what the issue was. And we, fingers crossed, everything's been corrected. It was nothing that we did. I was very nervous that it was something that I did. But it was nothing that we did. It was out of our control. It was one of the analytics sites that we used that wasn't coordinating with Squarespace that ended up not coordinating with App. It was a whole thing, Phil. It, this was our company almost burned to the ground because of this. And uh, but we're back up and running. I'm going to do a test pilot to watch you too because yeah. I don't really do anything with that side of things. Uh, I'm <sighs> working on. Other aspects of the show, and uh, it was interesting TBD. watching you two go around with multiple different systems of support and emails and live chats and you two talking to each other, trying to get it all figured out and going on different apps and programs of the computer and trying these settings that didn't work, but these settings that did work and then find out that it didn't work. And it's been a good 24 hours of you two just back and forth and me sitting there in the background like, all right, hopefully they figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um. 90% of the stuff that we were talking back and forth between, uh, I had no idea what the heck was going on. I was, like I do on this show, like I do in my real life, I just wing it and hopefully it works out. And usually it does. This time it apparently did. But we should be up and going. We should be good. I'm going to post this right after I edit it. That way, if there's any issues, we get it resolved before Friday when you're all hopefully listening to this on all the devices. But I think we gained a few more YouTube followers. I know I, a couple people reached out, said they didn't even know we were on YouTube. So I guess that's a positive of this, that now they know there's video of us. You, they, you might regret it when you see that's at least this face uh, on, on your screen. But yeah, thank you all for your patience. Hopefully this is a one-time thing. It's what close to three years of this, and this is the first time we've had a major issue where one of the episodes was not coordinating with us. So uh, Didn't mind knock on wood, this doesn't time. happen again. Yeah, uh, We've I'm, had a few. We've had a few, but yeah. I'm, not too bad. I, I mean, the, the percentage look. is very low. So we'll take I did forget the the episode that was lost. So yeah. That was that was one of them, and awesome. it was just PK talking to awesome. himself. I think so. We get half an episode was lost. It was it was corrupted, but knock on wood again, nothing ever happened. So uh, again, thank you all for your patience. Uh, I know it was a hassle for some people. It was definitely a hassle for us at the BSC. So uh, <laughs> we're trying. We're 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 one obstacle climbed. Hopefully this never happens again because I lost even more hair on the top of my head dealing with this. But uh, yeah, you remember you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. We've never had any issues over there at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky. Haven't had issues there either at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Tuesday, Phil's article dropped about the loss to the New York Riptide for the Buffalo Bandits on Tuesday, like I said, and then my article for the Power Rankings just dropped on Thursday. Go read both of those like i said buffalo sports collective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show i figured we always talk about this in the middle of the show or last in the show let's get it out of the way early buffalo sabers west coast trip three games before the break and man do we really need it tuesday versus the anaheim ducks yes still calling them anaheim ducks uh that's because that's the name of them i don't know why i, I don't know, there. I don't know, know where you're trying going to get with a, that either yeah 
I, I didn't know where I was going either. I was trying to talk like movie reference, and then I remembered, oh, wait, they actually are called the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> Talking about like the whatever. Mighty Ducks? They, Is that what you were calling? That's what I was trying to you know, hint towards, but then I realized, wait, they're actually called Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, this is why I, I, I don't care. I don't care about the Sabres anymore. They lost 4-2, to two, and clearly they didn't care either. Greenway and Oposa were the goal scorers. UPL, 32 of 35 saves. Shots were 36-30 to 30 in favor of the Ducks. And then Wednesday, the very next day, in L.A., didn't start great, but it finished great. They won 5-3. to three. Paterka had two. Quinn had one. Tuck Cousins wrapped it up. Levi started in net 37 to 40 save. Shots were 40 to 37 in favor of L.A. Yeah, um, I don't know. Until the Sabres care about themselves and winning, I don't know why we here should either. I mean, the, the Ducks game, again, if you look at the score, looks way, way closer and more interesting than it ended up being. It was awful for 99% of it. They had a little bit of life because they decided, hey, we're in the NHL. Maybe we should play a little hockey. And they made it a little bit closer and then uh, could not finish it. But even still, it was just a, a terrible game against a really, really bad team. UPL did what he does and tried to keep them in it. And he deserves better at this point. Levi in the second game started terrible, but he did settle in really, really nicely. Ended up finishing the second two periods really strong. And that's another one that he kind of stole as well. There were a couple huge saves he had to make. LA is a pretty good team. So playing back to back, I will give them a smidgen of credit for coming out and winning that Wednesday game. Again, West coast trip. Those are always difficult. Playing back to back, always difficult. Levi, with his short stint in the AHL, had to get called back up, started terrible, but kept his head in the game, was able to kind of bounce back and allow the team time to come back in that one and win as well. He started, I mean, they were down 3 nothing and then fought all the way back and on back-to-back games they could have given up. So congrats to them for finishing a hockey game. I guess that's a, a big accomplishment for this team, uh, at least recently. But other than... UPL being fun and the the young kids having a really good time. Paterka looks insane. Quinn looks like a true sniper on this team. It looks like a lot of fun. And other than like the the younger guys like them, the team just doesn't seem to care all that much. I know Tuck scored. Skinner was back. It was good to see, but didn't amount to much. I don't know. Win more than one game ever in a row. I mean, it's just... It's still very hard. I mean, normally, if this was a, a good season, if they were you know, in a fighting contention for playoffs and their record looked okay. I feel like this kind of West coast trip would be like, you know, you lost to a bad team that stinks, but you came back in the second game and you won, which is really exciting against a better LA team. Nice job. Good win, good bounce back, but it's not what we're looking for. They need to win uh, pretty much the rest of the season and they're not doing it. And to go out to that ducks game and just not care at all for, two and a half periods and even have the announcers that are commentating the game call you out for your lack of hustle and lack of interest on multiple occasions throughout the game is just about as embarrassing as it gets. Uh, I don't think you ever really want to be called out for your lack of hustle in an NHL game by commentators, but especially opposing commentators, like normally they would call out their own team if they weren't playing well, but to call out the opposition for playing so poorly and just not caring is Really embarrassing, and this team is exactly where it deserves to be. Yeah, um, this uh, this reaction is kind of a culmination of what the season has been like. Uh, I was ready to rip them a new one after the Tuesday game because, once again, like Reed over my shoulder here, who is uh, still up for adoption. We've had him for close to five months now, still up for adoption. No, no takers yet. But uh, see how he's falling asleep? 
that happened to me in the third period once again in this game because, man, Phil, I missed the excitement that happened in the third period where they decided to care with uh, like five minutes left of the game. They, it, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. And I know I'm going to talk about, oh, this game and then the following game where they actually showed some life. I don't understand how you are an NHL professional player and you have to wait a full 20 minutes of play to get up for a game. Phil, they've allowed 60, 60, 60 goals in the first period. That's the worst in the NHL. And you're thinking, oh, you know, 60 is really bad, but are they? No, they're 29th in the league in scoring in the first period with 33. So they're one of the worst at scoring in the first period, but they're one of the worst at giving them up too. So when you're playing like that, you're always playing from behind. And with a team that has the confidence of a twig, you can't play down because, I mean, excluding the Wednesday game, credit for them. The kids, the, the kids line was great. I mean, UPL, or I'm, I'm sorry, Paterka and Quinn played great. But it's just, it, it's it's mind-numbing. And again, it, it feels weird because the, the Wednesday game was actually sort of exciting to watch once, you know, everything settled down and Levi settled down in the game and, and watching Paterka play and Quinn play. It was actually fun to watch. But how the only explanation why nobody has lost their job here is because I honestly think it's because Terry Pagula doesn't want to pay yet another coach to sit on his couch. That's that's the only explanation. How can you have a team that missed the playoffs by one point where everybody was saying it's playoffs or bust for this team and you're per- putting out these kind of performances? Yes, okay, you lost the Ducks. You, like you said, most of the times, hey, you lost one, but you got one on the West Coast trip. West Coast trips are kind of tough. You're not in any position to be losing these type of games. It's just I, I bang my head against the wall trying to figure out how even an assistant coach hasn't lost their job. And I'm not calling for anybody to lose their job because I know they're real humans and all this kind of stuff. But come on, like something has to change. They're just, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's exactly what's happening here. And the only explanation for why this continues and why this this excuse for a team continues to go without any consequences is because the owner doesn't want to pay yet another coach to not coach. That that's the only thing I can think of because even the power play fell. If if they could even just get the power play going just at all this year, they could slowly move up the standings, but they can't even do that. They were over four in in the LA game. It's just it's it hurts my brain. It really does. Yeah, I know we've talked about who the assistant coach is for that and that you know, he's he's a longtime Sabre and a, a longtime, uh, I don't know, we're fans of him, but if your power play unit is just continually this bad, I mean, if you want to talk about an assistant uh, getting demoted, that's barely something, um, it'd, be, it'd be that one. But the other issue I have with this team at this point, because I think you and I have sadly, I mean, unless they pull a Buffalo or, uh, yeah, Buffalo Bills and, you know, after six and six, Lost to the Broncos, you had pretty much written them off, uh, which you have openly admitted, which is fine. But I, I think at this point, unless they pull some kind of miracle out of themselves, which you and I do not believe they have in them, and I don't think the Sabres believe they have in them, clearly, after the Anaheim game, they just don't care if they do or don't. 
I would assume this team's not making playoffs. I, I think we're just, I know I'm slowly settling into that. I don't want to be that negative, but I mean, they're just bad and have yet to show any life of a win streak at all, which is what you absolutely need. And then some to get back on track. So I, until we see even three wins in a row, I will refuse to believe this team has any shot whatsoever making playoffs. But the other issue is a, I'm very sick of young talent because that is all this team is, is young talent. Some of it's very exciting. I like Paterka, like Quinn, like some of these, like Benson, like these young guys, they're exciting. They're fun to watch, but they're not going to single-handedly get you into playoffs. So it's pretty much at this point for a Sabres fan, just really annoying banking on the youth of this team stepping up and being, you know, incredible players. And the other, like, so at this point, if you're not making playoffs, you might as well tank. But at the same time, I, ju I just don't care. I don't care about the draft. I don't care about a top 10 pick. I mean, right now, points alone, they are seventh worst in the entire league. So right now you are pretty much guaranteed a top 10 pick. But I, I, I could care less. Like, I don't care who's in the draft. I don't care who's coming up. I don't care if they're supposed to be, you know, the next McDavid because you're probably not getting number one overall. There's a few teams that uh, have pretty much locked that up. But even if you get a top five pick, like, I just I'm so over the young talent, even if they are NHL ready to do anything, because that's not what's going to change this team. So unless you're taking that top 10 pick and, you know, trading it with another youthful player that we might like on this team and trying to get some NHL ready talent on this team to actually push them to playoffs. Like I just, this team is once again, which we talked about a little bit in that really, really gray area where you're not good enough to make playoffs, but you're not bad enough to be so bad that you're getting a really great top pick. That's going to immediately, you know, boost this team to the next level. So now you're in that really depressing gray area of you get an okay first round pick that probably won't be on your team for a couple years and your team still to make playoffs because they're actually terrible and like you just mentioned no one seems to care or want to do anything to actually physically fix this team whether it's trades whether it's coaches whether it's just any kind of poke of life from this team they are just like you said insanity just rolling the exact same thing out there night in night out with no changes no spark no nothing and it's just it's getting more and more depressing as the season goes on yeah and you pretty much summed it up they're not showing they care so why should we put in any effort to show we care and i know we signed up for this and we're covering the sabers because they're buffalo's team and you know i mean we do like them we do. We want we do. success and, for them. But I've said this I don't know how many times, like in, in the close three years we've been covering this, you want people to still be angry if you suck because that means they still care. And I think at this point, you and I are at the point where we're not even angry anymore. It's just we're accepting of the fact that nothing's going to change. Like they restock. Kevin Adams came in and said he wanted to restock the prospect farm and restock Rochester. And, and it's all, bumping. All it's done. It's done. You accomplished <laughs> what you loaded. did. You don't have room for all of these pieces. We've been saying that for two years. And even Why if don't you, you do, some... they're not making a playoff impact anytime soon. Not even that. Use the pieces to go get a piece that helps <laughs> right. you now. Absolutely. But it's not even happening. I, I can't remember. It was either it was somebody from the morning show on WGR. They tweeted out or X'd out or whatever you want to call it, Elon Musk. I still have no idea what you want me to call it anymore. They put out the the players that have come in 
since the Jack Eichel deal. Phil, if you could see this list, it would make you sick. And I know you just got over COVID, but man, it would put you right back in bed just wanting to puke your brains out because it's disgusting. The the list that has come in of players that Kevin Adams has assembled, and I gave Kevin Adams so much credit last season. Even going into this season, I gave him a ton of credit saying, hey, I was dead wrong. They hired him. And he actually is doing a good job of building this team up, giving contracts out to the right players. You got to take some risk in this kind of stuff. Man, my original assumption right now is looking like I was right. And I'm on this roller coaster ride of, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I wrong? Right now, I was dead right that Kevin Adams is not a legit GM because what is going on? Like, yes, you restocked the cabinet. But your NHL team is paying the price of you just hanging on to these pieces over and over and over. I don't know if you're expecting. I don't. I'm sure he's making calls and trying to bring in now pieces. But I don't know if he just has such a high value on the pieces that are in his system that he's unwilling to move any of them. But when was the last time that Kevin Adams moved anything of value since Jack Eichel? Has it happened? I I can't. He didn't even move Victor Olafson. Like, I don't know if there was a val- a market out there for him, but he didn't even move that one player. Like, how high? It's like he is like the, the epitome of a fantasy football player that has a higher value on every one of his players and talks down every one of your players to try to swing a deal. Like, hey, CMC over there, yeah, he's limping around and he's not that good. But you know who is good? Ezekiel, he's on a he's on a heater right now. Is that what he's doing in these negotiations? That's the only explanation I can think of why none, zero, zero of these picks and these prospects and anything that has been brought in through the draft has been out the door for now pieces. It's just, it, I'm banging my head against it. I'll go over the transition list and the, the prior trades and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he shipped somebody out for now talent. Maybe he shipped out a pick or something that I can't remember, but it's, I, I am, I don't know. I, I, it's, I don't want to be that person that says you got to start all over, but it's a sinking ship and they're just like rearrange. They're not even rearranging deck chairs. They're just sitting on them and watching the Titanic go down while they're on it. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, I, I know it's not, I don't know how the cap necessarily works in the NHL as far as just you know, like how much room is this actually, but they are also, which is just, just as frustrating. They are the third highest team with projected cap space of 8 million. It looks like compared to a cap hit of 75 million. So you have the money to also bring in something, anything of, you know, that's two players at $4 million a year. That's a decent top what, six forward that you could bring in with that kind of money or one really good one at even five million, six million a year. Like that's also the other like frustrating aspect of this is that they have cap space that they just refuse to use for anything because why not be the the cheapest team, youngest team out there so we can just roll out a bunch of youthful college kids or even younger than that with poor Benson only 19. Let's keep rolling them out there and we're going to keep losing. But eventually six years down the road, they're all going to be studs and we will eventually sometime maybe make a run if we're lucky. I I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I am going to do my best. This is my scout's honor. Even uh, though I wasn't a scout and I wasn't an Eagle scout. I wasn't even a boy scout. I'm going to find Tom Galasano's number. 
call him up and ask him, why the heck did you sell this team to Terry Pagula? They haven't made the playoffs since Terry Pagula took over. <laughs> it's just Terry. I'm talking to you. Sell it back to Tom. <laughs> I know it was I know it was a weird run that we were on under Tom Galasano, but at least we were making playoffs, man. This is how crazy they've made me. I want to be sold I want the team to be sold back to Tom Galasano. Oh, Terry, why'd you have to do this to me? Okay, I'm done talking about the Savers, Phil. I don't even care if you have anything else to add because I'm not gonna listen to it. Yeah, I, I don't even. How do we talk 15 minutes about the Buffalo Sabres? More than that, I, I, I don't know. If you're listening for the Buffalo Sabres content, you got plenty of it today. Congrats! Uh, if you we're didn't sad. want to listen to them, long story the, short, we're sad. Yeah, uh, if you if you hate the Sabres, I hope you use that uh, uh, time breakdowns are in the description of the show. I hope you hope you clicked around. Or you there. made but some let's dinner. Go to the, Went out and yeah, made some dinner. Yeah, sit down. <laughs> background noise. Right. Maybe you're trying to now fall you can tune back in. <laughs> yeah, tune back in now. Uh, Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think we teased this on the last show. This is not the award ceremony. You see this? Nice. Not in a suit and tie. Not here for that. This is nominees. the announcements. I don't know what they call. What do the Oscars nominees. call? Like the release? What is it called? The nominees. It's the nominees, but like, is there like a show to announce the nominees or anything like that? Or they just like put that out to the content? I think they just throw it out there. Well, that's what we're going to do. Ready? Get ready to catch. This is the awards and the nominees for the third annual BSC Buffalo Bills award show, the most coveted award in sports and entertainment history. So, our first award and their nominees. Again, we're not announcing the winners this week. That will be the Monday show. Stay tuned. Monday show. Pat is producer. Pat is currently working on the graphics because we already know the winners. Ha ha. We open the envelopes. Here we go. MVP. Here are the nominees for MVP for the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott, the whole defense, Josh <laughs> Allen, James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, Terrell Bernard, and Ed Oliver. Last year's winner was Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh Allen uh, is always going to be on this until... I don't know. He gets injured or really I'd falls say the off. The odds map. in betting market, he's probably the favorite right now. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there, there's some good names on there. I mean, Kincaid's breaking Buffalo Bills records, not even just rookie records for the Bills. He broke the tight end reception record. Pretty impressive for a guy who was weirdly used throughout the season and should have been used a heck of a lot more. So his stats could have been way, way better. I mean, James, especially Cook, the playoff game. Yes, we don't have to get back into that. James Cook, uh, first 1,000-yard rusher in a really long time. Terrell Bernard took over the defense in a very troublesome spot and ran away with it and did fantastic. Ed Oliver proved you wrong that he deserved. I don't know. We, we never went back and actually listened. I forgot if you said that his contract was too big or you didn't like it. I did. Okay. But he proved uh, that he deserved every bit of the, the money he got because he was a huge part of that defense. And then speaking of the defense you got the defense somehow hanging by a thread the entire season keeping this team together and then at the very top of that you got Sean McDermott also keeping the defense and the team together making a crazy end of season run to at the very least when the AFC East it's the worst eh, it's not the worst it's it's a consolation prize it's an okay one uh not the one we want but it, it's a consolation I, I guess so the next award and their nominees are for Offensive Player of the Year, last year's winner, Stefan Diggs. This year's nominees are Josh Allen, James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, Stefan Diggs, and Khalil Shakir. Now we already talked about most of them in MVP, so uh, 
That's exciting. It is. Uh, I had this problem with Del Bianco, uh, the goalie for the Calgary Roughnecks and the NLL. And I get it, but it still upsets me when a player wins, you know, off like goalie of the year and MVP. I get that if you're one or the other, like if you're MVP, you are and a goalie, you're likely goalie of the year. If you're MVP and you're a quarterback, you're likely quarterback of the year, or, you know, offensive player of the year, you have at least considered so i absolutely get the idea i don't love a player winning the two top awards at his position essentially it's i don't know i spread the love a little bit but i mean if you're getting one you're probably getting the other so i'm surprised even last year with uh josh allen being our mvp and then maybe we felt the same way and didn't want to give him offensive player of the year as well and gave it to Diggs, even though Diggs did have a monster season but it's going to be tough to once again, like you said, odds on betting favorite, probably Allen, even though there were some other some other big things happened, like Cook's thousand yard season. But Josh Allen is Josh Allen for a reason. Voters are going to vote how they vote. We'll, we'll find out the winner and on Monday. Defensive, <laughs> defensive player of the year for the BSC last year's winner was Matt Milano. This year's nominees for BSC defensive player of the year are Ed Oliver, Terrell Bernard, Taron Johnson. Leonard Floyd, and Gregory Russo. This one was really interesting because the defense uh, injury-wise fell to shambles, so I don't think anyone on this list, maybe Johnson, because he's been a pro bowler previously, I think he'd be the only one on this list preseason that you would possibly say could get it, but I don't think you'd really expect anyone else. I mean, Bernard, no. Oliver, probably not. Floyd, probably not. Russo, probably not. So... An interesting list for sure of people that you didn't really expect to be put in those positions and stepped up massively for the team and the defense. So I think that's probably one of the more interesting categories of this entire thing because there's some some big names that really help this team stay together and win the AFC East because that's all we really have to uh, to keep talking about as far as winning goes. So the next award is the BSC Rookie of the Year last year's Winner of this award was one James Cook. And this year's nominees for the BSC Rookie of the Year are Dalton Kincaid, Osiris Torrance, and Dorian Williams. Short list, and uh, two of these names stand out more than the third. Yeah, and I think that uh, is a little depressing as far as drafting goes. Um, Don't remember... All of their draft class from last year, but Justin Shorter, but he was on the IR. All right, year. right. Could have used and a I think wide receiver Alex and some talent. Austin was a seventh rounder, and I think he ended yeah. up in New England. Didn't I think he make there's a an big lineman? tackle or something against the Bills. Yeah, yeah. He did something interception? I don't know. He did something. He did um, something. yeah. Short list. I mean, it's always going to be shorter unless you get an undrafted rookie who just has a monster 10 picks season. this coming draft phil we're reloading we're reloading yeah i mean well, what's he always miss the mid the second round pick is that the one yeah, second round picks uh besides james <laughs> cook never really work pretty out. much uh, a bust there uh yeah kincaid like we talked about broke the reception record for tight end osiris torrent stepped into the offensive line played incredible Dorian Williams was uh, pretty non-existent until the very end of the season. Then he was pretty hot and cold. Definitely had some big, impactful plays down the road. So I, I do think he deserves some credit for what he was able to do when everybody 
fell off and got really injured, but I don't know if he's going to be able to overtake the first two. It could be an interesting battle between the first two. I know offensive linemen are kind of tough to to grade um, as far as just, you know, they don't have the stats that a Dalton Kincaid does where you can look at black and white and say, hey, he did really good. I mean, I know tight ends also block and whatnot, but I think Torrance had a really, really good season for a rookie on the O-line. Yeah, I remember when they drafted him, I was playing shell downstairs and watching it on the other TV, and they drafted him, and I saw his size. I was like, oh, okay, going to have to take a shift off here and uh, check out this player. Another and, uh, yeah, man. He, yeah, he definitely developed, and I think he played every single snap at right guard. So uh, it's going to be some competition for that award and uh on monday so stay tuned for mondays but our next award bsc most improved player last year's winner was damar hamlin this year's nominees for bsc most improved player are spencer brown christian benford terrell bernard ed oliver and one james cook this one another one's gonna be really really difficult spencer brown i know you tore into him a whole heck of a lot last big year. time <laughs> You were not a fan whatsoever, so I'm I'm very excited to see your thoughts on that one. Benford was thrust into a tough position, stepped up to be their best corner for a long time, so he's going to be on there. Bernard, we already talked about a little bit, but I mean, losing Milano, you were like, oh my gosh, what the heck are they going to do? And then Bernard just exploded and really took the defense and really just became the main part of that defense, so... Really big there at Oliver. Like we mentioned, you weren't the biggest fan. And not that you disliked him, just didn't love how much they paid him. Then he had a massive season. Then James Cook, also pretty monster season. Some some repeat names for sure. But, I mean, that's what's going to happen when, uh, you know, player of the year and most improved player. They kind of go together if you're most improved. So we'll see. I'm excited to hear you talk about Spencer Brown, though. Yeah, me too. Can't wait for Monday's show. Okay, BSC biggest letdown last year's award <laughs> went to one Gabe Davis, the man that yells at the crowd, and then the crowd yells it back at him, and sounds like he's not coming back to Buffalo. See ya. Here we go. BSC biggest letdown nominees are Gabe Davis. Huh. Repeat, repeat. Deontay Hardy, Damian Harris, Dawson Knox, Tyler Bass, Gregory Rousseau, Von Miller, and then just the team in general. Yeah, um, you don't want to be on this list two years in a row. You don't want to be listless one year in a row. Well, that's true. You don't want to be on this list at all. But to be on it two years in a row, Gabe Davis, not good. Um, if you do come back, it better be on a blocking tight end salary. I know he had some $2. monster games for Buffalo here and there, but the inconsistency was brutal. Um, if hey, he does Phil, come... I, I haven't heard you say that I was right about this one. You're pointing out all the times I'm wrong. Well, you didn't like Shakir right? either, so let's just... No, 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 no. I said <laughs> don't have high expectations for a fifth-round rookie to come in and be your savior. That's what I said. I didn't, I didn't dislike him. I dislike Gabe Davis as the number two wide receiver. You got to check your facts fact. on this one, Phil. You point out when I'm wrong. At least point out when I'm right once. It's true. He did uh, absolutely not take that spot whatsoever. I mean, I think you and I both agreed at the very we did. We did. most he would have been a wide receiver three for this team, but he, he didn't even really do that. Uh, again, he would randomly have a great game and then go – Way too long without a catch, so just weird. Was Puka Nakua, sorry, this is just side, was he a fifth round rookie? He was a fifth or sixth, something. He was late. 
insane. Anyway, sorry, we're just thinking about fifth round rookies that can alter your season. Uh, he did that. Anyway, um, Deontay Hardy, I thought, did okay with that one big moment where he uh, had to shine, and he did. Damian Harris, non-existent, completely invisible and injured, so pretty depressing for him. Honestly, I completely forgot he was on the team until we were going over this list, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is correct. He existed on this team. Dawson Knox, we'll we'll get into that on Monday. Tyler Bass, same thing. Greg Rousseau has been on this list in a few different ways, so that's awkward. Von Miller, I think entire Buffalo knows all about that. And then team in general, um, you and I were kind of saying that their window for the Super Bowl, again, they're still going to be good, but the Super Bowl window with this core that they currently had, this was it before Josh Allen's contract kicks in. This was supposed to be kind of the last hurrah with this core. I mean, it's going to be very different team come summer, come come fall. So the team in general just did not get there like we were hoping, like we wanted. So a little bit of a letdown. I mean, pretty big letdown if we're going to be honest, but it's not necessarily all on the team. But uh, yeah, as, as in general, they did not win the Super Bowl. Yeah, we got three more awards here. We'll try to fly through these. BSC Best offensive signing slash late season off season. Thank you. BSC best off season signing or late season addition. Last year's winner was Daquan Jones. This year's nominees for the BSC best off season signing slash late season addition. Next season, we got to shrink this name down. Taylor Rapp, Leonard Floyd, Rasul Douglas, Connor McGovern, and Ty Johnson. How did we get Ty Johnson? Uh, I think he was on the practice squad, and then he got elevated, I believe. So we're considering that an addition? They signed him. They signed him. He's an addition. Well, I saw his name. I was like, hasn't he been on the team in some way, shape, or form for a couple of years? But that is true. But I don't think so. But either either way, um, they finally used him. So he did get signed, and not only signed, but signed and used, and honestly had a really good end of the season once Brady came in and started swapping running backs around a little bit, got Latavius Murray out of there a little bit more often. He was on the Jets last year, so uh, we're good. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Um, Yeah, that'll work then. Yeah, so he was fun. Rasul Douglas came in, did amazing, got injured. Tried to come back. I think we, you and I both believe he was still injured in that last game. Didn't come back quite as well as we would have hoped. But still, while he was there, looked incredible. Connor McGovern, another one that's kind of be hard for us amateur experts to judge. But I think he did a really good job. Taylor Rapp, hit or miss for me at times. But overall, I mean, he definitely stepped in when they were down to, to nobody. And he was a good rotational player, so definitely not bad. And Floyd was ridiculously incredible uh, when his his bro Von Miller just kind of vanished in thin air. Okay, this one's going to go super quick. Uh, BSC moment of the year last year's winner was uh, Naheem Hines, two kickoff return touchdowns after the DeMar Hamlin incident on the field versus New England Patriots. This year's nominees for the BSC moment of the year for the Buffalo Bills, Deontay Hardy's punt return versus Miami, which ended up you know, turning this time around and having them clinch the number two seed. And then Josh Allen's 52-yard touchdown run versus Pittsburgh. That's it. Those are the two moments of the year. <laughs> uh, pretty depressing year when you really go back and look at it. I almost put <laughs> 12 men on the field for the Denver kick, but I was <laughs> like, I won't do that. 
I mean, that that sums up the I mean, it's not the moment of the year, obviously, for Bills fans, but it sums up the year a little bit more than uh, the other two do. I don't know. Just really depressing season when you really go back and look at it, the fact that they were six and six, lost a lot of close games, even the huge stretch run they went on. They they won a lot of close games against bad teams, had to fight back in some of them. I don't know. It's just a, a bad year. And I think I'm still just really salty about that KC game. Yeah, me too. Me too. But final award here, the BSC Challenge Award. Last year's winner was uh, Ken Dorsey. Didn't work out for you. Uh, We expect the award to be sent back to us. This year's nominees for the BSC Challenge Award are Joe Brady, Khalil Shakir, James Cook, and Tyler Bass. Yeah, so... Just so people understand, the Challenge Award is we're challenging them in some way, shape, or form for next year. Either step up, change something, do something better, be more consistent. Or apparently you get fired. (laughs) Or you get fired. Um, (laughs) Hey, we did the correct thing. We challenged... You are welcome. Right. We challenged Ken Dorsey. We put him on a short notice with the Buffalo Bills. We said, hey, this guy's getting challenged for next year. If he doesn't step up, you got to kick him out, and that's exactly what they did. He didn't step up. It's your fault there's 12 men on the field, Ken Dorsey. It's true. Um, yeah. Anyway, so if you get this award, either step up or you're being shipped out, apparently. so uh, There's only just, one way to go. You yeah, it's either up or out. <laughs> that's it. If you go backwards, you're done. If you go up. Congratulations, you accepted the challenge and you succeeded. Um, as far as the nominees, Shakir might be thrust into that wide receiver two role that would be vacated by Gabe Davis. I hope the Bills, my goodness, look into something, a uh, draft pick, uh, a free agent that's super cheap because you got no money. I don't know. I don't know how to make their wide receiver core better, but they need more talent there. I, that's nothing at Shakir. He played incredible when given the opportunity. His hand, like he's got to be one of the best pass catchers in the league with some of the catches that he makes, especially for being a smaller bodied guy. He goes up and gets it, goes down and gets it, finds incredible ways to stay on his feet and score heck of a player. So the challenge for him is wide receiver two, Joe Brady. I guess the challenge for you, especially in PK's eyes is to win the job. Um, James cook kind of repeat what you did, but do it better. And, the biggest challenge for him would be when a touchdown is incredibly easy and you can catch the ball and walk in, maybe catch the ball. That'd be appreciated. And then Bass just being probably a little more consistent than he was this year. A little bit of an off year compared to the year he had the year before. So just a, a little bit of a, a down year after his good up year. So we just need to go back up. That's all. So those are your nine awards for the BSC third annual BSC Bills Award Show. The award winners will be crowned and announced on Monday's show, and then your trophy will be in the mail, like it always is. And uh, yeah, uh, last year's winners, pretty good, pretty good. Some bad, some real bad. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, on the Monday show. So if you're interested to find out who we crown as the winners for the BSC Award Show, come back to Monday's show. We'll move on to our final segment here. No, we're about 42 minutes in, something like that. We're going to final segment for the Buffalo Bandits. Some huge news broke on Wednesday, came out of nowhere. I know it was rumored and they had interest in it, but I was not expecting it to happen mid-season. Josh Byrne 
got a little bit richer and a little bit more stability in his life. He signs a five-year extension with the Buffalo Bandits. It will kick in next year, so you have at least five and a half more years of Josh Byrne running around Bandit land. He has one more year remaining this, I mean, on his previous deal. And then this one kicks in, like I mentioned. So he will be around one year longer than Smith's deal. That's he signed in the off season for five years because that one kicked in this season. So he has one extra year in Buffalo than Dane Smith, which makes sense because I think he's two years younger. Uh, Dane Smith is 32. Josh Byrne, 29. Uh, no, Dane Smith is 31. Thank you very much. He is the same month or he's September. He will be 32. Says, well, okay. Well, then Wikipedia is wrong. It says 32. Wikipedia is wrong. He's uh, 30. <laughs> he's the same year as me, and he was born in September. All right. Well, I was trying to go I'm super looking fast. looking at it right now. And, okay, you want his exact you know birthday? What? His exact birthday right here is September 23rd, 1992. Oh, Wikipedia's got January 22. <laughs> well, he's wrong. January, I don't know whose birthday that is, but it's not Dane Spence. <laughs> I think we need to uh, tell Dane that his birthday on Wikipedia is incorrect. Congrats, Dane. You're 32 years old. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do it super fast. and I It was just, just your wait. birthday. It was just your birthday. Yeah, congratulations. Happy birthday. Happy um, birthday. Yeah, they got Josh Byrne at 29. Is that accurate, at least? Josh Byrne is 29. Okay. Uh, we'll have to see if he's born April 15th. We'll have to keep an eye out for his birthday. <laughs> anyway. Right um, April 15th. Yeah, that one's right. Okay. So just Dane. We'll, have to, we'll let Dane know that his birthday on Wikipedia is incorrect. And also, we're going to send him a birthday cake anyway. <laughs> on NLL. Wait, what? His birthday's correct on NLL. So it's definitely just Wikipedia. I think we should definitely send him a cake, though. And be like, happy belated birthday, January 22nd. It'll be really confused. I'll send him a card. It'll be hilarious. So um, I'm, I'm writing it down now. Send. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Dane. We'll get producer Pat on that. <laughs> uh, card for but yes, uh, very exciting for the, the dynamic duo to be together. Like you mentioned, another four years as far as Dane Smith goes. I could see him, depending on how his career is working out at that point, signing another short-term deal. But another five-year deal for the two of them is just incredible. Um, this dynamic duo has been... Living it up in Buffalo for a really long time, been doing a lot of extremely good things. This team has been lights out for the last few years. I know they're struggling a little bit right now, but they'll be okay. Um, but they won a championship together, finally went to multiple championships and, you know, fell a little short. But the fact that they even got to go to championships, let alone multiple, and they're doing incredible things for the Bandits. So really excited for Byrne to be back. He's playing some of the best lacrosse we've seen. I think, like I mentioned a few episodes ago, every single year, I think he said more and more points on the season, just continues to get better and better and better as he goes on. So really great to see those two tied together for quite a long time. You know what I think happened, Phil? I think uh, the Bandits organization has been listening to our show and how often you complain about one and two year deals and went, we got to shut this kid up. Um, Dane about Smith, time. here's five years. Ian McKay, here's three years. Josh Byrne, here's five years. That'll shut him up. Because I haven't heard you talk about one and two year deals recently. But if you, if you, uh, I'll say Priolo, but Priolo's up there. I mean, if you had to go for younger players and you had to name like a core three on the team, would that be That's your core three? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That you would want long term deals. So, yeah. Yeah. I think they're listening. I think, yeah, Dietrich's just like, all right, you know, here's some long term deals and we're done with this. 
Yeah, we're we're uh, we're gonna make you guys look wrong once again, and we thrive in it. We we are mid season we- five year <laughs> banger. Here it is. <laughs> Shut these guys up for not even talking about it anymore. So we'll talk about the preview now. Bandits head to Hamilton. They face the Toronto Rock for the sixth time in two years. Uh, coming in, Rock are the only undefeated team. They're sitting at five and zero. Buffalo Bandits are sitting at five hundred at three and three. Goals for for the Buffalo Bandits twelve point seventeen, which is seventh in the league, and Rock are right ahead of them at twelve point two, sixth in the league. Buffalo goals against their ninth in the league at eleven point eight three. Phil, the Toronto Rock goals against are eight point six, first in the league, and nearly a goal and a half better than the next team. Uh, so far. Phil, I did mention that this is the sixth time in two years. Buffalo is four and one against them in uh, since last year, I should say, and the only loss came in Toronto, well, in Hamilton, eighteen to seven game. I remember that one because I watched the second half downstairs playing pool, trying not to, you know, keep an eye on it. But uh, yeah, uh, the biggest thing I can say based on the numbers that I gathered, Corey Small absolutely loves playing against the Buffalo Bandits. He also loves playing lacrosse. He does, but especially against the Buffalo Bandits. Yeah, the last two games alone, uh, I know we're not really getting into the offensive breakdown yet, but he does have eight goals, four in each. He is really good. Um, He's loving life right now. He has been loving his transition. Right. He loves his transition to the Toronto Rock. He didn't love it as much last year watching his Buffalo, former Buffalo Bandits, Win a championship, that is okay, because he's he's doing incredible things right now for that team. That They're very scary. Um, their defense has always been really good. The fact that their goals for is even better than Buffalo, which I think we know that Buffalo's offense can do better than Toronto Rock offense, but it's still crazy that they're averaging 12, giving up 8. That's quite the uh, the difference and something that you're absolutely looking for and why they are undefeated. So they're a really good team. Their defense and Nick Rose play just incredibly together. It's going to be really, really hard to put up a lot of goals against this team. So it's going to be hopefully a defensive battle. They don't really have their full offensive weapons back yet. But this is, again, we talk about it with the unified standings and I'm getting sick of myself saying it over and over every single week, but every single week is massive. Uh, But this one, obviously, with the rivalry feels a little bit more massive. But you play this team twice. If you want to try to catch them, you're going to need to put a loss in their column. And at the same time, it's just going to be a a very, I don't know, intense game because, I mean, these two teams obviously do not like each other. The Rock really want to stay undefeated. But even in general, I think... Even with the Bandits record at three and three, the Rock know that the Bandits have the ability to go on, you know, a, a ten and one streak and really kind of take the season back over. So every single game, even with them at five and zero, oh, Bandits at three and three, means a ton. Especially between these two teams, you expect these two teams to finish toward the top at the end of the season. So this is a massive standings end of season kind of situation, especially because I'm sure the Rock are sick of playing multiple games in Buffalo, uh, especially just being the the home game. So I, w- I would assume they want home field advantage as much as they can possibly get it, especially in unified standing. So this is a huge, huge game for Buffalo to get their season back on track, for the Rock to stay undefeated and just get an early 1-0 lead between these two teams. But it's going to be really intense. Yeah, I just have really? three quick things before we move on to the players to keep an eye on. One, 
I know we were mentioning the Rock defense is really, really good. Last year, it was actually Buffalo that got the better of them. And, you know, in four wins, that would make sense. But in, in the the four wins, Buffalo allowed eight, 10, five, and eight. That's pretty stinking good. And number two, uh, the man in between the pipes was a big reason. Uh, he averaged in those five games 82 save percentage and an 8.6 goals against. And that is including getting chased from game two when they allowed 18 goals. So imagine what that number would be if he just put in like, I don't know, you know instead of 18, they allowed 13. Those numbers would be absolutely ridiculous. And then number three, Nana Coke didn't play in game number two. Brandon Robinson didn't play in game two, three, or games one and two in the playoffs. Chase Frazier didn't play in games one and two in the regular season. DeSnew didn't play game two in the regular season. And uh, um, Tom Schreiber didn't play in game two of the playoffs. So we haven't seen this both these teams at full strength. We might not see that uh, on Saturday when we go over the players to watch. But that's another thing to keep remembering that a lot of the Buffalo Bandits, which was all year long last year, were not fully healthy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Toronto was missing uh, two players in two different games. But we'll go on to the players to watch right now and uh, keep an eye on. The righties for the forwards, we'll start there. Chris Bushy, number 21. Uh, Josh Dowick, number 8. Dan Littner, number 41. And then a man who has been on IR but was questionable last week, Tom Schreiber, number 26. For the lefties, Dan Craig, number 21. I have to double check. No, I have to double check what their numbers are because I have two number 21s here. So when you're talking, I'll correct that. Mark Matthews, number 40. Bushy's 21. I don't know what Dan Craig is. Um, Mark Matthews, number 42. Corey Small, number 15. 25. 25. I thought that and I didn't want to correct myself. Well, that's all right. Now now you are correct. Um, yeah, their offense, I mean, they, uh, I mean, it's so difficult to say that the, <laughs> the 12 goals against error goals for average looks good because the bandits are behind them. And I don't think it looks very, their offense is just weird. They don't put up a ton of points. You don't expect them to put up a ton of points. They, they are to. a <laughs> team that puts up enough points to win. And they're very consistent. I guess you can say that about their offense and this isn't trying to take a shot at them, but they just, I mean, 11, 13, 14, 11, 12. So they, they haven't scored under 10 goals all season. I mean, 14's a, a decent explosion, but it's not really like a, a massive game. Like they probably aren't putting up 15, 16. Even that one was against Toronto or uh, New York Riptide. So they're just not a high flying offense, but at the same time, again, consistency is the biggest thing for them. They have not scored under 11. So really consistent, but just, I don't know. They, they're very unexciting offense. I don't know. I I just don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say about their offense, but they are good and effective, but not high scoring, flashy, exciting. Like if you think of the Albany Firewolves or Georgia, um, just high flying offenses that are just a little bit more exciting to watch. This is probably not them. They're a little bit more just nose to the grindstone, kind of put goals in the back of the net, get their job done and get out of there. Um, without Schreiber, especially, they just don't have as much high-flying action for an offense. In their last two games, though, they have 11 in tight goals, 10 mid-range, 5 far. So they are not a team that I really think has a true sniper on the outside. They don't have uh, a Craig Robinson um, on the outside trying to score from anywhere. Small and Matthews can do it occasionally, but for the most part, they are 
really mid-range and really in tight. They they find ways to get inside. They find ways to get closer. They are just not a team that really shoots out far that well, and they don't really have that guy to do it. So the big thing for the Bandits against their offense is going to be what we asked the Bandits to do against uh, the Riptide. They didn't do it, is just compact everything way down, force them to the outside, let them shoot outside. That's fine. They don't really have the players to do it all that much, so... Don't allow them inside. Just get really tight with your defensive box and just force those outside shots and let Vince do what Vince does. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing, uh, there's two things here. Really, Corey Small is the engine of this team right now really with is. the goal scoring department. And he loves playing the Bandits. Like you said, four goals and four goals in the last two games. Each, I should say, four goals in the last two each. That's the better go. way to That's phrase fine. it. And it still sounds worse. But he, he, if you able to contain him, which you did in the playoffs last year, and you saw how their goal scoring just plummeted, I do partly understand where you're coming from where you're saying that the offense is kind of just consistent i think it's because they're missing one of the best players in the world in tom schreiber who again was questionable last week and this was a big thing that i talked about in the offseason where i said toronto was probably going to lead the league in scoring which that hasn't panned out right now but you know the connection between mark matthews and tom schreiber might take a bit of time which is why i if he does play this game that might be the best time to face a Tom Schreiber if he's going to play because he's going to have to knock some rust off. He's going to have to gel on this offense that is taking a bit of time to gel because a lot of these pieces are new. But if Tom Schreiber comes back, this offense can get scary. And you hit the nail on the head. The defense has to be 10 times, 100 times more aggressive and in your face than they were the first half of the last two games because if not, and if you get down early, against this team, the chances of you catching up are nowhere near what it was in New York because New York's defense and Toronto's defense are nowhere close to each other. So you cannot get down. You cannot let them go on a big run and try to catch up because trying to beat that defense, let alone Nick Ro- Nick uh, Rose, is not going to happen very easily. So we'll move over to the defense Wait, and transition. Move on to the defense, yeah. just talking about their offense being consistent but not really doing that much flashy-wise. In the last two games, they have not had a single player that has shot the ball on net over 10 times. None of them. So, I mean, you go to the Bandits in the last game, and they had Josh Burham with 13 shots, Chase Fraser with 16. Oftentimes, we've seen, you know, players like Fields with 17 shots in a game. In the last two games that Toronto has had, they haven't had a single player hit 10 shots. So, they're just, they don't just whip the ball at the net. I feel like they're just very direct and specific with their opportunities. They pick their spots a little bit more than, again, Chase Fraser likes to just wing it, which is fine. You put up four goals. This isn't against Chase Fraser, but Toronto just doesn't have that kind of offense. They're not just going to be chucking balls at the net just to kind of do it and hope something goes in. They're very direct with what they want to do on offense. They know what they want to do, and they just try to really kind of hyper-focus on how to score. I mean, Dan Craig and the game against uh, Georgia had five shots and two goals and three assists. So they're just not a high-flying offense, but they still find a way to to do what they need to do to win. You're a sneaky little boy there, Phil. What? Not double-digit goal or shots, but Corey Small had nine and Chris Boucher had nine and Mark Matthews had eight. 
but not double digits. Like again, we're used that to is like true. Teams. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out that seems like a cherry pick stat. That's all I'm saying. Well, not when I mean Josh Byrne and Fields. I get what you mean. They're getting like seventeen. Like that's not even. That's like if if the average player for the Bandits was getting ten, I probably wouldn't have called it out. But like they're going way over that, and that's like their best score. Like you don't see Small even having ten shots, and he's their best shooter right now, and he put up four goals on nine shots. So I'm almost wondering if this would benefit the Buffalo Bandits because the last two games where they faced. Connor uh, Connor Fields and Jeff Teat, those are two players that have been known to have high numbered shots and they struggled against those offenses in the first half. I wonder if because there isn't that go-to shooter for this team, you're able to less focus on one guy just and kind of just defense. focus. Yes, exactly. So I'm wondering if that is why you're seeing low goal score or low score Low scoring totals, that's the way I'm trying to phrase it, against Toronto last year. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting, and that's definitely the biggest key that I'm watching in this game. But we'll move over to the defense in transition. Mitch DeSnew, former bandit, Dr. Snoo, uh, paging Dr. Snoo. Uh, Number 12, Brad Cree, number 20. Stop me if you've heard these names before because they're still really good. TD Erlin, number 3, but he is currently on the IR. He was out last week, so... We'll figure out if he's playing on Friday's injury report. Josh Jubinville, number 33, but he was also out last week. Another name to keep an eye on on Friday. Uh, Phil Mazuka, number 14. Billy Hausstrauser, number 91. Justin Martin, the other Justin Martin, number 24. And then Chalen Rogers, uh, my man crush, number 23. Yes. Yes, he is. I was trying Still to. <laughs> I couldn't. I'll pull it up in a second. Um, but as far as those players go, obviously, this new former. Buffalo, uh, man, he, he upsets me so much because he's so good and he doesn't play for this team anymore because he wants to go be a doctor or something like that and, you know, save lives or whatever he does as a doctor. Um, still one of the best in the entire game, arguably the best. I mean, he just recently won a defensive player of the year. He's still really, really good. He's going to be tough to get past. I feel like he always has an extra chip on his shoulder for some reason playing against the Bandits. I don't know why he all of a sudden really doesn't like the bandits i feel like when he was here he was loved quite a bit so that's interesting brad cree really really strong defender very solid player as well as house trouser is another really really solid defender and just a very strong stay-at-home defender and then your favorite boy chalen rogers i was trying to see ian mckay has six goals five assists wait no five goals five assists so he does not have as many points as chalen rogers dang it I was trying to see which better was uh, which player was better in transition. Currently, it is Challen Rogers. Good try, yeah. But um, Challen <laughs> or Challen Rogers, uh, two-time transition player of the year. Uh, you got a defensive player of the year in Mitch Snow and an MVP in Mark Matthews. So they're uh, really good. Bunch, yeah, a bunch of players, former accolades, and really, really good. Uh, in net, the goodness continues. Nick Rose is having one of, if not the best season of his entire career, five games in, 5-0, and 8.6 goals against, and an 83 save percentage. I think he saw the stat where he wasn't a top five goalie <laughs> in the league, voted on by GMs and coaches, and uh, uh, it just makes me feel good that I called him out on it, and I said, how is Nick Rose not on this? And you guys are a bunch of idiots. And uh, he's proven him wrong. Yeah, he's proven him wrong by uh, being – if he doesn't win, if if this continues and he doesn't win goalie of the year, he needs to charge through the NLL offices and figure out what kind of blackmail that they have on him that he is not winning it. Because, my God, the save he made in that game – 
last I did week. See it. Did see it's it. disgusting. Disgusting. He's so good. I like he doesn't when, move, but he's so good. When they make saves like that and they don't care. That's yeah, like, act like nothing. He right, just passed it out. That's always like as a former goalie, that was always my favorite kind of save. Like you just blow it off as if you do it all the time. You're like, oh yeah, well, that's just a typical save. Let me just get right back into the play, make a little pass, not a big deal, do it all the time. Uh those feel they always felt the best. Because you're like, well, it wasn't even a big deal for me. That is just another typical day at the, the office. Time. Nick Rose. Really, really good. Uh, the biggest thing with him is exactly what you just said. He doesn't move, um, but he's become, not become, he's always been really, really good at that strategy. I think Vince is, Vince moves a little bit more for sure. Um, I feel like he, Rose has a little bit more of a Dylan Ward style, not quite as tall of a goalie, but he's got that just kind of brick wall stands there. And the biggest thing with that is he just does not really bite on fakes or anything. When you see breakaways or in tight goals, he will cover as much of the net as possible and force you to find the hole. And he does not move for you. And he just stays extremely calm in those situations. And yes, people score on him in those situations because he doesn't move. But at the same time, I feel like more often than not, obviously his stats prove it. He makes the save. Um, So in the last two games, they had... 10 in tight goals on him, six mid range too far. And I think the biggest thing with this, especially with what we just talked about a lot, uh, he's not a goalie other than the one crazy game. Uh, was it, was that two years ago already? Oh my gosh, these two teams play so much when everything was going in against him and Vince, and it was a crazy high scoring affair. Um, for the most part, Rose does not allow far goals to go in. It's just, I mean, he's he's good enough to stop those. So I think the big thing with this is the Bandits really hyper-focusing on getting in tight, doing pick and rolls, finding, you know, their passing was really, really good in the first half. I know it wasn't the best first half defensively, but their passing was really good in the first half. Last game against New York, they had a lot of in tight looks. Duncan Lee made some good saves. They also shot it right at him in some situations, so they had to get a little bit better with that, but... I think they have to continue to grind away against a really good defense and do whatever they can to find ways to get inside because that is the way you're going to beat him. They cannot just simply settle for those outside shots because it's a tough defense. It's going to be a really tough game. It's going to be hard to get inside, but that is where you can beat Nick Rose. He does not really allow those long shots that the Bandits like to settle for sometimes. Obviously, you're going to have to take those shots. It happens. It's a really good defense if you know the shot clock's running down. That's all the shot that you're going to get off. It's better than not, no shot at all. You have a chance of it going in. So I'm not saying just waste that opportunity if you can't get inside, but they have to try to continue to grind and not give up on trying to find a way inside because that is the way to score against Toronto. I think it's going to be a really big Nanakoke game as far as pick and rolls go and a really, really big Brandon Robinson game as far as trying to move that defense out of the way, whether he's in the center, moving it from both the left and the right, or just trying to move the pie a lot of the way for Josh Byrne to find an open lane or even doing a pick and roll himself, getting in front of the net and scoring. I think it's going to be a big Brandon Robinson game. And then Nana Coke, same thing on the right side. You got to be that bully and find a way past this very physical, very stout defense. So we went over the history, went over the players. What is your prediction for this game? <sighs> what did we say in my, in my uh, time on this show? I predicted one loss. Is that it? One loss, and it was last year, week 17, to Toronto. And did they win? They won 11-10. All right, so we'll go with a loss, because I'm superstitious, so if if I call a loss, maybe they'll get the dub. Um, But I do do think they have an opportunity. This is a really 
depressing game for the Bandits because they're coming off a really big loss, and this is a huge game for them. If they get the win, I think they can get their season right back on track, and I think they also get a lot of their own personal credit back. I mean, they are still the defending champions. They have to start playing and acting like it, so I think this is a huge game for them to reassert themselves at the very top of this league. So I, I think this is a just massive morale boost game for them. If they can knock off Toronto, give them their first loss, I think it's going to be really, really big. But you are going to Toronto against a very determined Toronto team. Uh, I'm going to give them a 12-9 loss. And uh, if you – I was wondering if you are going to hedge your bet here. If you looked at our BSC picks that come out every Wednesday, you and I both have them as taking a loss in this one. I agree with everything you said. It's a monster game that they don't need, but it would be very helpful if they got. But – that defense is still just scary for me, and they haven't proven it yet, and Toronto hasn't lost yet, so I'm going to just keep rolling with Toronto, and this is, if you look at me, I am rarely ever biased towards any of the teams we cover, so you can never accuse me of being a biased podcaster. If I'm going to give you my honest opinion. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to play, oh, the big... Diehard Bandits fan here. No, if I'm going to call it how it is, I have them losing 12 to 10. Oh, a little closer, a little closer. Yeah, I think Buffalo can get to double digits, but Toronto's defense is just so locked in. I know Buffalo Bandits' offense hasn't been the issue their defense has, but if Tom Schreiber plays and that connection that I think is going to be there between him and Mark Matthews is going, I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah, Toronto, again, has only once this entire season given up 10 goals. That was to Panther City. Yep. They've also only given up 8, 9, and 9 to the Riptide, who put up 15 against the Bandits. Halifax, who has a decent offense, and Georgia, who also has a defense. I don't, Georgia's offense, I, I don't know anymore, honestly. They're not good. I'm, I'm calling it now. Yeah, the they, stumble is going to continue for Georgia. Yeah, they, uh, I don't know. They, they're, they're falling quicker than I think either of you either of us predict I thought with their goaltending with the offense that they should have that they'd be really good but like we mentioned they are too top heavy without the supporting cast and I feel like they've been held under 10 goals quite a bit recently so the Georgia offense I'm not giving as much credit to but I mean New York has a good offense even though that was when they weren't rolling I don't know Hopefully the bandits figure it out, and I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's going to be really tough to get to 10 goals or plus, but hopefully the bandits can figure it out coming to this game. Super pumped. I think the other big thing about this one, I will super quick over. In the last two games, the Toronto Rock power play has been 4 for 8. Their penalty kill has been 4 of 7, so pretty much 50-50 on both sides of the ball. But the big thing for the bandits... This game is going to be very intense. It's going to be in your face. Do not take stupid penalties, let alone tons and tons of stupid penalties. If you can stay out of the box, obviously that helps your team. This is going to be a game, again, that's just very emotion-filled. So I think it's going to be very important for the bands to keep a level head. Let Toronto be chippy if they want to. Play a very physical game, but do not go over the top. Don't be getting five-minute majors. I mean, any kind of big power play opportunity like that could sink the entire game. So... Try to stay out of the box. I know you're going to get in the box a little bit, but try to just not take really obvious, stupid retaliation type penalties. Okay, we're running really long. We got to try to crank this out. Uh, milestone time here. Fastest milestone minute. Once again, all these possible milestones can be found on X at Buffalo Sports Co. We post them on the lead up to the game. So today on Friday and Saturday, you can find all of these posted there. If you miss one and don't want to listen back, go.
Go find them there. Here we go. If Matt Vince plays on Saturday, we'll tie Brody Merrill for third place in NLL history with 276 games played. Chris Cloutier, once again, is one point away from 200 for his career. He averages 3.43 a game. Josh Byrne is eight points away from eight, or sorry, 400 for his career. He averages 5.09 a game for his career. Dane Smith is 10 points away from 1,000 for his career. He averages 5.93 a game. This is going to continue here. Dane Smith is two shots away from 1,600 for his career. He averages 9.57 a game. Dane Smith is two cause turnovers away from 100 for his career. He averages 0.59 a game. Dane Smith is nine loose balls away from tying Rich Kilgore for sixth place in Buffalo Bandits history. He averages 4.88 a game. And the last one here, Matt Vince is 29 minutes away from passing Steve Dietrich for second place in Buffalo Bandits history. Because he just got the five-year contract extension, I'm not mentioning anyone else except Josh Byrne, eight points away from 400. If he puts up an eight-point game, that would be incredible. And I would say if he puts up eight points in this game, the Bandits likely win. So go get it. Get your eight points. Get your 400. Get a big Bandits win and uh, enjoy that five-year contract. I do agree. If Josh Byrne has eight points in this game, Buffalo's probably victorious. So yep. we'll look around the league real quick. Five other games besides the Buffalo-Toronto matchup. Friday night, it kicks off 10 p.m. Colorado-Vancouver matchup. Colorado, you know, blanked Vancouver in the second half in overtime and stole that victory a couple weeks ago. Rochester in the nest at Halifax, Saturday, 6 p.m. Uh, an hour and a half later, Georgia-New York kicks off uh, Saturday at 7.30 uh, another 7:30 game on Saturday. San Diego is in Philly. Philly's first game in 20 days, and then Panther City gets the late game in San Diego. Or I'm sorry, in Las Vegas Saturday at 10 p.m. Yeah, I mean, definitely just continue with the teams at the top. Losing is pretty much all you want. Georgia, Rochester, San Diego, uh, the big three, I guess, right there. You want them all to lose. I think they all have winnable games. Um, Georgia, again, we have no idea. I don't know. If New York plays like they did against the Bandits, they can easily take that one. Philly is weird. San Diego's really good, so that'll be interesting. And then Rochester, Halifax is... I don't don't know what's wrong with them either. They're not... I mean, they're coming off a week off, so that's going to be tough, but they're just also starting the season not quite as good of a team as I expected them to be. Yeah, fun little plug here. Uh, If you want to find out our thoughts on those games, you can check out our BSC picks. We do them every Wednesday. They go out there and review last week's picks as well. Currently, producer Pat is killing it. I'm in second and Phil is in a third place. He gained some edge on me. He, he, he brought he brought it back uh, last week. I went one I for went four, I believe seven. it was. I think he went two for three. And then Pat went three for two. So uh, he, so good. He, he went pretty good. And then also, if you want to know more of my feelings on any of these teams, including Georgia, where I kind of ripped them a new one, uh, uh, BSC, Power Rankings, they come out every Thursday, so you can read that one there. But, Phil, longer episode because of the uh, Sabres rant and uh, the nominees and then a preview. Uh, once bills are officially wrapped up for the year, it should be shorter episodes. But anything else you want to add to this episode before we shut it down and I make sure this works for Apple Podcasts? Go Bandits. Huge game. Go out and get it. Uh, yep, that's all I got. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much going to wrap this up. We will <laughs> talk about the Sabres Saturday game versus the Sharks, I believe it is, on Saturday. Uh, on our Monday show, we'll go over the winners of the BSC Bills Award show that we went over all the nominees and the awards today. Find out the winners on Monday's show. And then we will go over the Buffalo-Toronto matchup 
big game in Hamilton on Saturday night. So if anybody's traveling up north, drive safe there, drive safe back, and enjoy the game. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective, and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye-bye.